Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirabbil alamin wassalatu wassalamu ala asyrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Allahumma anfa'na bima 'allamtana wa 'allimna ma yanfa'una wa arzuqna 'ilman tanfa'una bih. Amin ya rabbal alamin. Uh, Alhamdulillah, we continue again this week with our Hajj classes and our lessons on Hajj and how to derive maximum benefit out of our Hajj that's coming up in if not this year, then next year, or even the year after that. Tayyib, as I said last week, I'm covering the fiqh aspect of the Hajj, as in how do we perform Hajj, the rituals of Hajj, and so forth. Tayyib, um, and then my colleagues who come after this, they cover different aspects of Hajj. Naam, they will cover different aspects of Hajj, like spirituality, like history of Makkah, Medina, and so forth. Okay? So I'm covering the fiqh of Hajj. Last week, what did we talk about? We spoke about the definition of Hajj. Briefly, we spoke about virtues of Hajj. Who can give me a virtue of Hajj? We spoke about benefits of Hajj. What benefits does Hajj have upon the upon the Hajji, upon the pilgrim? Right? We mentioned a number of things, a number of benefits, and a number of virtues. Okay? So virtues we said there's no reward for a Hajj except for Except Jannah. For an accepted Hajj. Or rather we I don't want to use the word accepted Hajj. I'm gonna rephrase that. I'm gonna say a Hajj Mabrur. Right? Because in reality, there's a difference between Hajj Mabrur and Hajj Maqbul. Okay? Maqbul means accepted. Somebody goes for Umrah, you tell him Umrah Maqbula, inshallah, Allah accept your Umrah. May it be an Umrah that's accepted. The same with Hajj. Um, a Hajj Maqbul means it's a Hajj that's accepted. But it may, that, that, that does not necessarily mean that it is a Hajj Mabrur. Hajj Mabrur, the reward is nothing but Jannah. Okay? So, a hajj mabrur is a slight difference between a hajj mabrur and a hajj maqbul. What is a hajj maqbul? An accepted hajj means you have fulfilled all of the obligations of hajj. Understand? Whatever was fard upon you, for example, you were in your ihram, you were on arafah, you went to pelt the jamarat, you made your tawaf of ifada and whatever, sa'i, you shaved your hair or you trimmed your hair and so forth. The rituals of Hajj you have fulfilled. And you were sincere for the sake of Allah. So, the, the shoes, just by the uncle's moving the shoes because if he leaves, then it's not safe. So, the shoes all will be over here. Shukran to you, Rashad. So, for next week, when you come, it's better to place the shoes in here because it's safer, right? Tayyip, Hajj Maqbul is then you fulfill the wajibat of Hajj. Understand? And bi'ithnillah, your hajj is then accepted. But it may not be a hajj that is mabrur. There's a difference between the two. A hajj mabrur, the hadith is, لَيْسَ لَهُ جَزَاءٌ إِلَّا الْجَنَّةِ There's no reward that you will get except for paradise. Which is the ultimate reward in reality. So what is a hajj mabrur? A hajj mabrur means, firstly, it must be paid with halal money. It must be paid with halal income. You cannot go... Gamble, 
pay the uh, pay the lottery, win a million, take your family on Hajj. Hadith says, Inna Allah tayyibun la yaqbalu illa tayyiban. Allah is pure, and He doesn't accept except that which is pure. So many ulama they use that hadith and say that's not a pure Hajj. It's not from pure money. So Allah does not accept such a Hajj. Understand? And there are many other incidents where we can go into into detail. For example, riba money, right? You don't want to be making hajj with riba money because that's not pure, it's not halal, and so forth. So make sure your wealth is pure, from pure income. That is where you go with hajj, that's point number one. Point number two is, one should keep away from evil, sin, and unjust disputes during hajj. The Quran says, فَلَا رَفَثَ وَلَا فُسُوقَ وَلَا جِدَالَ فِي الْحَجِّ Three things. Those three things are mentioned in the Quran. لَا رَفَثَ رَفَثَ means no intercourse. No intimacy between a husband and wife on hajj. As long as you're on hajj, this is not permissible. Right? If you are in a state of ihram, it's the days of hajj. Intimacy during those days are not permissible. Evil, sin, and unjust disputes. And this is why we said last week, you've got to prepare for Hajj. You cannot just go for Hajj and expect to be an angel. And all of a sudden, you know, your bad habits will just be, will just disappear because I'm on Hajj and I'm in Ihram. No, we said you'll be tested on Hajj, right? We said you'll be various tests that will happen on Hajj. The thing about the Hajj Mabrur is, it's a close to perfect hajj. That's what it is. It's a close to perfect hajj. Meaning, you stayed away from sin. You stayed away from major sins. And you did not pur- purposefully indulge in unnecessary sin. Understand? And again, if you go on hajj, you'll be in a tent with people. You'll be in a group. And you will see things. Open sin taking place. Right? open sin and this is where you need to know better and where you need to have been prepared and where you took, you can take yourself your wife your family go sit somewhere alone and you abstain from the various sin that may be happening you will see people smoking on hajj in ihram they can step out the tent and they smoke this is a sin that's on hajj this can nullify a person's hajj mabrur it can i'm not saying it does only allah knows what's a hajj mabrur or who gets a hajj mabrur and who gets a hajj mabrur what we are saying is, this is the advice. You try your best for Hajj Mabrur. So you stay away from smoking, for example. You stay away from what happens when people come together. Gossip, riba happens. Easiest thing. Look at these people. The Saudis are like this. Look at that guy there. That tent is like, look at that Maulana, he said this. Look at this one, he said this. But that Sheikh came with this opinion now. And this one, Jidal. The Quran speaks about Jidal, which is your disputes. It's not a time to debate. It's not a time to argue and debate and, and, and discuss. And my opinion is better than your This is not for Hajj. Okay. You want to learn the fiqh of Hajj? Learn it now. You have a difference of opinion? Talk about it before you go. But before you go, you make up your mind. This is what I believe is the way we're going to perform the Hajj. And you go with it. Understand? Don't go there and have a dispute there. They are going to be people with difference of opinion. Be ready for that. With different ideologies, be ready for that. The time for debate is not on Hajj. The Quran says there is no dispute on Hajj. 
avoid it. Right? This is to protect your hajj. To keep your hajj as pure as possible so that you can attain bi'idhnillah hajj mabrur. One should observe all the rituals of hajj according to the sunnah. Tayyib, according to the sunnah, and this is again of utmost importance, um, the hadith of the Prophet says, Take your rituals of hajj from me. The Prophet said this in, in clear terms. Take your rituals of hajj from who? From me. If we look at the hadith that describes the hajj, and I'm going to print it out for you, inshallah, when we get to that hadith. It's a long hadith. It's pages long. This is how they described the hajj of the Prophet in detail. Every aspect of his hajj is described in detail. And that's why he said you make sure you take your rituals of hajj from who? From me. Not from anybody else. Not from any other scholar or any other imam. The imams are of the greatest of imams. But they are not prophets. So what we try and do is, we try and take our rituals of hajj straight from the hadith. And it's easy and possible. And we will see this as we go through the, the fiqh of hajj bi'idnillah. One should not show off by doing hajj. It should be purely and sincerely for the sake of Allah. This is for every act of worship, right? Ikhlas, sincerity. That our ibadah is lillahi ta'ala is to please Allah alone. This is again of utmost importance. The hadith says, famous hadith, Your actions are driven by your intentions. And each person will get only that which he intended. And then the hadith gives us an example. Whomsoever performed hijrah for the sake of Allah and the messenger, his hijrah will be for the sake of Allah and the messenger. Whomsoever performed hijrah for the dunya. Let's say you left South Africa, you moved to Saudi Arabia as a hijrah, right? Muslim country, you left here, you said, no, too much facade, too much fitna, I want to live there. For whatever reason. But why did you go there? Because you got a good job there, which pays you triple your salary, right? Is this hijrah now? This is not hijrah anymore. This is you are moving for dunyawi reasons. So your reward is what? In the dunya. You get your money, you live comfortably, good for you, alhamdulillah. I'm not saying it's a sin. But it's no more ibadah. If you left the country, because I'm going to a place where there's sharia law, or where my woman can be dressed covered, I can live according to the sunnah, I can, you know, then you'll get hijrah, the reward of hijrah. This is the point. And the hadith says, whoever makes hijrah for a woman to get married, his reward is only with that. Meaning you got married, alhamdulillah. But your reward is not by Allah because this is not hijrah for the sake of Allah. The point of this is, you could take that word hijrah out and put any ibadah in there. Whosoever salah was for the sake of Allah, his salah will be, your reward will be by Allah. Whomsoever's hajj, your sadaqah, your zakah, was for the sake of Allah, your reward will be where? By Allah. If it was for the dunya, your reward will be only the attention that you get in the dunya. But you get nothing by Allah. Understand this? And when the ibadah becomes for other than Allah, it becomes not just, and your reward is not just crap. Rather, it becomes a major sin. It becomes a, a major sin which is tantamount to minor shirk. 
it's referred to as minor shirk because it's ibadah, it's no longer for Allah. It's to impress people, it's to be heard about by people. This is what we call riyah. Have you heard the term? Riyah. Riyah means to show off in your worship. Again, I will show you next week, inshallah, we get to the dua that the Prophet made before Hajj. And he said, Oh Allah, make this Hajj of mine a Hajj that is free from Riyah. If that was the most purest of worshippers of Allah, ask yourself, what about me? Why am I going for Hajj? What's the reason? Do I want the title of a Hajji? If that's the reason, that's all you're going to get. There's no reward with Allah. If you're going to go to Hajj and you want people to say, MashaAllah, he and this one, Muhammad, and that one is on Hajj. If that's the attention you're looking for, you should know your, your Hajj is never going to be mabrur. And it will not be accepted by Allah. Understand? At most importance, fix up your niyyah now. Get your niyyah correct now. Why am I doing, doing this Hajj? And when you get there, be aware that shaitan will be out to destroy your hajj. Inna shaitan lakum aduun. Quran says that shaitan is an enemy of yours. Fattakhiduhu aduwa. So take him and treat him as you treat an enemy. Be on guard. Right? He's going to come up with disputes. He's going to tempt you to look at strange women on hajj. To speak to strange women on hajj or men. He's going to tempt you with riba and discussion and jokes and wasting of time and swearing in the tents and all of this you will see this with your own eyes on hajj it's about you protecting your own hajj right if you want to advise your brother you advise him but make sure you look this is what's going to happen shaitan is out to destroy you and your worship and also he's going to tempt you with riya and today riya is very easy today riya has become very easy one example is Put on my haram, stand in front of the Kaaba, take a selfie, send it on Instagram and, and Facebook, show the world I'm doing tawaf, show the world I'm pelting the Jamarat, show the world I'm on Arafah. Ask yourself the question, what is the purpose between this picture? Even if it's not a selfie, it's just a picture. Why do I need to show people I'm doing this act of worship? Is it for likes? Is it for, you know, people, you want people to, mashallah, praise you and hajj? Ask yourself the question, sit down and think, is there a reason for this picture? Do I need to take this picture? And so forth, right? Reflect over this. And the scholars have mentioned this to be a form of riyah, of showing off. So this is how easy it becomes, and these are the ways of shaitan. So be, be on guard. The last point there is, one should not follow it with acts of disobedience and sin. I mentioned this last week as well. Common question people ask the students and the, and the ulama is, how do I know my hajj was accepted? How do I know? Because only Allah knows. But what the scholars have said is, one of the clearest signs that your, sign is, that your hajj is accepted is that it changes you as a, as a believer. You come back a different person, a better person. You come back someone who is closer to Allah. Someone who has distanced himself from sin and from bad deeds and so forth. This is an, a sign of an accepted hajj. Only Allah knows whose hajj was accepted. But that's a sign that it's made you a better person. Okay? Are there any questions on this? On a hajj mabrur. Right? So the difference between that is a hajj mabrur. That's what we are striving for. It's, what did I say? It's to try and perfect your hajj as much as... It won't be perfect. 
But Allah doesn't expect perfection. He wants you to strive for that perfection as best as you can. And if you did that, you feared him as much as you could, you strove and you did the ibadah as best as you can, you'll get a hajj mabroor. Right? And you make dua, oh Allah, grant me a hajj that's mabroor. Right? The difference we said between a hajj mabroor is, it's that perfect type of hajj. And a hajj maqbool, accepted hajj means, you fulfill the wajibat. Obligations have been fulfilled, that's it. But there was a lot of sin involved. Right? You did things incorrectly. Made mistakes. You did things, you know. So, at the end of the day, we say, it's okay, your hajj was accepted. But because of all those errors, and because of all of those sins that you did on hajj, it's most likely it's not a hajj mabroor. But only Allah knows. Right? So there's an accepted hajj, then there's a hajj mabroor which we are striving for. Right? It's about building up and getting to that point. Tayyib. Conditions of hajj. Every ibadah has conditions. Every act of worship, salah, especially we all know conditions. Maskabiyu awra, masfaisti qibla, tahara, etc. Hajj is an act of worship. It has its conditions. The first condition is bulugh, meaning a person's balig. Right? You are at an age, you're now a young or an adult, maturity. Okay? That's the first condition of an accepted hajj. So the question then comes up, what if a youngster makes hajj? What if a child goes for hajj? Is this hajj accepted or not? What do you think? Make up an answer. What's, what do you think? Will Allah accept this hajj? Will he get rewarded for the hajj? Yes. So what happened was is there was a woman who made hajj with her child. And she came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and said, We made hajj. Myself and the small child, toddler. Does he get reward? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Yes, and you also will get the reward. Because you obviously accompanied him, you helped him, you did this, you assisted him. You also will get the reward. But it does not count as a, as a hajjatul islam. What does that mean? Those who were here last week should know. Your hajj of Islam. Your, the one that counts as your pillar of hajj. Your, your fard hajj. Put it in that way. Your fard hajj. It doesn't count as a fard hajj. It counts as a nafil hajj. A voluntary hajj. Understand? A person has to be at the age of maturity before it can count as a fard hajj. So if a youngster went on hajj when he was five, six, seven years old, Inshallah, they get the reward. Their parents get the reward for accompanying them and taking them with. But as a voluntary hajj. Right? And that's the view of almost all the scholars. Okay? So they still have to make a default hajj when they get older. And that makes sense. A three-year-old making hajj. No understanding. What benefits are they going to get from hajj? We mentioned all the benefits of hajj last week. Will they get any benefits? No, they're not mature. So when they get older, that's when they go and make their own hajj. Insha'Allah. Right? Aql and sanity, this is a condition for all worship. You have to be aql, you have to be someone who is sane. Someone who has, who is insane, majnoon, or someone who has severe case of Down syndrome, for example, they are excused from performing their acts of worship. Right? So they do not have to make hajj, nor will their hajj be accepted because they are not at their senses. They're not at their senses, right? They are excused. And of course, there's no sin upon them either. 
there's no sin upon them either. So they are actually, in a way, quite lucky. You know, quite lucky because Allah forgives their sins. The pain has been lifted from them, the hadith says. Islam is condition number three, which means you have to be a Muslim. If a person is murtad or kafir and he goes on hajj, puts on the ihram, arafa, mina, everything done, does he get a hajj? No, it will never be accepted from him. Condition again for every act of worship is you have to be a Muslim. Quran is clear about this as well, that Allah, nothing stops Allah from, from accepting from them their sadaqat, their righteous deeds, except that they are disbelievers in Allah and the Messenger. That's, that's again for all acts of worship. Freedom refers to not being a slave, right? And I think this is not found in today's time, so that is not... Again, if a slave were to make hajj back in the day, to be accepted as a voluntary hajj. And if they were freed, then they have to make a new hajj, and Allah knows best. Capability is of utmost importance. As the Quran says, man sabila. That those who are able to make hajj, they have the capabilities to make hajj. If you do not have the capability, the obligation of hajj falls away from you. It's not wajib, it's not hanging on your head. Right? You don't have the money. That's a big issue for most people, I would think. Because it's expensive. Right? We have to save up. Most of us have to save up for a long time before we can go for hajj. Because it, and it only gets more and more expensive. So that's the, the main issue that prevents a lot of people. But you don't have the money, it's not wajib upon you. So you don't have to stress and go into depression and think Allah is going to punish me. No. You don't have the money, it's not a fault upon you. Secondly, you need to have a means of getting to hajj. A safe path. So let's say you're in a, in a war-torn country, there's no way of traveling, but you got the money. You are excused because it's unsafe. For example, you're stuck in the middle of China. Coronavirus, you can't get out of the country, you're excused, and so forth. You must have a safe means towards getting to hajj. And this includes your ride. So in today's time, it's obviously a plane for most people. Here you find people walking and cycling and... That is not an obligation. So that doesn't mean that, look, I can't afford a plane ticket, so I'm gonna buy myself a nice bicycle, and then let's, let's cycle for Hajj, because I have to make Hajj. That is not how the, 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 the Sharia works. You understand? That is an, that's not an obligation. If somebody decides he wants to work for Hajj, that is his own ideas that he's following, right? That is his own, what's the word, issue. Right? Um, because walking and cycling for Hajj is extremely difficult. It's also taxing, and many other issues will come up. So that's not what we are saying that you should do. If you have the capability, it includes your wealth. Your health is another issue. And your, your route to getting to Makkah. And that includes your plane ride and so forth. Right? The Niyyah, we spoke about. I spoke about the Niyyah just before this, and the importance of having a pure niyyah, that this hajj is for the sake of Allah, right? That, again, is, an, that is also a condition for all ibadah, not just hajj, not just hijrah, every single act of worship must be free from riyah, must be free from any type of showing off, right? Taib. The next issue is the issue of the miqat, right? 
So we've done the, the shuroot of hajj now. We know the conditions that we need to fulfill before going for hajj. They are easy. Most of them are general conditions. It applies to all worship. Some of them are specific like capabilities and so forth. What is a miqat? Who knows what's a miqat? Where you go into ihram. Fair enough, okay. Right, so a miqat is the place by which we enter into ihram. It's the, the place by which we enter into ihram. Khair. So what we find is, if this is the Kaaba, or let's say this is Makkah, right? What we find on the hadith and the board is that the Prophet ﷺ, he has set out the miqat for us. The people of Medina have the miqat called Dhul Hulayfa. So just for argument's sake, that's Medina. Dhul Hulayfa will be here. Those who are coming from Yemen, they have the miqat called Yalamlam. Yalamlam. Those who are coming from Najd, which is in the Riyadh side, they have another miqat called Qarnul Manazil. Qarnul Manazil. Right? And then Rasulullah, what about Syria? We never mentioned. Those who are coming from Syria have another miqat that's called Juhfa, Juhfa, with a ha, Juhfa. So the Prophet set out the miqat. Umar also set out another one for the people coming from Iraq called Irq. Right? These are, call it boundaries, that you are not allowed to cross. Right? The pilgrim is not allowed to cross these boundaries unless he is in a state of ihram unless he is in a state of ihram so if you look at the hadith after he set out the miqat he said these miqats are for the people at those very places so meaning those who are in Medina you want to go to Mecca you cannot cross this miqat those who are in Riyadh you cannot cross the miqat unless you are in ihram the same with those in Yemen the same with those in Syria the same those are boundaries, you're not allowed to go beyond them unless you're in a state of ihram. And your niyyah has been made for ihram. The clothing doesn't count. The clothing is one aspect of ihram. The other aspect is what? Is your intention. You've uttered, oh Allah, I'm intending hajj now. Oh Allah, I'm about to perform hajj and umrah for your sake. Now you're in a state of ihram. The rulings on ihram now applies. And that again we will speak about in, in, in due time, inshallah. So what else does hadith say? Right? Besides them, and besides them, for those who come through those places with the intention of performing hajj and umrah. Meaning what? It's not just for the people who live there. It's those who are traveling through there as well. So when we come from South Africa, we don't have a miqat for our country. We are coming from far. So we will cross a certain miqat before we get into Mecca, right? Most hujjaj fly to Jeddah, then to Medina, right? If this is the way you are traveling, that's your miqat now. Dhul Hulayfa in Medina. 
So you spend your week in Medina, 10 days in Medina, which is excellent. Why? It helps your preparation, get you in the mood for Hajj. The perfect place to get you in the right mood. Peaceful, tranquility, you get yourself ready for the days of Hajj. You spend your time there. Before you leave Medina, you stop at Dhul Hulaifah. And you go into the state of Ihram. Understand? If you are flying, let's say, on Saudi Air, for example, you stop in Jeddah and you don't go to Medina. So to travel to Medina is not a farm. Even it's not part of Hajj. But we say if you are there, you must at least make an effort to benefit from Medina. If you didn't go to Medina, you made a whole Hajj and you came home, your Hajj is still accepted. Right? So let's say for argument's sake, you go to Medina after Hajj. Okay? Also something nice. You're stopping in Jeddah and you're going straight to Mecca. Now what? Jeddah doesn't have a Miqat. Right? Jeddah does not have a Miqat. So what do you do? What happens is, on the plane, there is a scream, and the pilot will say, for those who are going to Mecca, we are approaching the Miqat. For example, the Miqat of Yemen. We are going to go past this Miqat now, which means you need to get into Ihram now. So before you travel, you need to know, where am I going? I'm going to Medina, it's easy. I will spend my time in Medina, before I leave Medina, into Ihram. But if I'm going to Medina after Hajj, now you need to know, look, I need to get into Ihram on the plane. Understand? I need to get into Ihram on the plane before we pass the Miqat. And usually it's about, let's say an hour before you arrive or so, something like that, something to that effect. And usually they do announce it. Yes? Okay, that's a good question, but it depends what type of Hajj you're performing. So let's delay that the answer to that question when we do the types of Hajj, okay? Whoever is living within these boundaries can enter Ihram from the place he starts. So let's say you live in Jeddah or you live in Makkah. Where do you put an Ihram? From home. From? From home. You're living in Jeddah, you, there's no Miqat for you because you live within the boundaries of the Miqat. You put an Ihram at home and you go to Mecca. If you live in Mecca, you put an Ihram at home and you go to Mecca. Understand? Except for the people of Mecca who are performing Umrah. That's the only exception. But for Hajj, they can do that. Right? If they're performing Umrah, they need to go to Tana'im which is just outside of, it's actually within Mecca, but this is another issue, okay? And the people of Mecca can start from Mecca, right? That's basically what we have said, okay? I'm going to answer this question when we get to the types of Hajj, inshallah. Entering Ihram from the Miqat is one of the obligatory actions of Hajj and Umrah. It is not permissible for anyone to pass the Miqat without entering Ihram if he intends to do either Hajj or Umrah, whether he comes by land, sea, or air. This is what we said, you must be in a state of ihram when you pass the miqat. Right? It's not permissible to go past. So what happens if you go past? Let's say you're in Medina. If you're on an airplane, there's something different. You can't go back. 
Right? If you're in Medina and you went past, what should you do? You should actually go back. Go back to the Miqat, into Ihram, and you go. If you cannot do that, if he does not do that, into the Ihram, from past the Miqat, he has to offer a sacrifice, meaning he should slaughter a sheep in Mecca and distribute its meat to the poor. You now have to pay a ransom. Because you have passed, you have, you have not fulfilled one of the wajibat of Hajj. So there's a, like a punishment, right? A sacrifice, now you have to, have to slaughter a sheep and the meat has to be distributed to the people of Mecca. Today's time, it's very easy. Back in the day, you had to go to the slaughtering house, slaughter, get the meat, go distribute. Now, you just go to a little, what's a small office, they do it for you. You just gotta pay 400 reals, 500 reals, right? And they will sort it out for you. Understand? But otherwise, that is the ruling for those who pass the miqat without being in a state of ihram. So it's important to take note of that, 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 that so that that does not happen to you. The other point here is, if he intends to do either hajj or umrah. So let's say I go to Jeddah for conference. So I'm passing the miqat now, right? In the plane, I get into Jeddah, do I have to be in ihram? No, because I'm not going for Hajj or Umrah. Are you with me? So I don't have to be in a state of Ihram in that case. Yes? Allah Alam, I would say before you start your Hajj, at least. So as soon as you get to Makkah, like I said today, it's easy. You get there, you just go to an office, and these officers are many, if there are many of these officers, if you don't know, go to your agent, say, look, this is what has happened to me, I need to pay. They will show you where, the, where those officers are, and you pay it. I mean, the quicker you do it, the better. Because now you're out of that sin. You're out of that uh, issue. You understand? Tayyip. It was narrated from Salim ibn Abdullah ibn Umar, the grandson of, of Umar ibn Khattab. He narrated from his son, who is the son of Umar ibn Umar, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam never entered Ihram except from the mosque. Meaning Dhul Hulayfa. Where is Dhul Hulayfa? Medina's Miqat. So, what does this prove? Where do you go into a state of Ihram? From the Miqat. And not from Masjid al Nabawi. And not from your hotel room. Understand this? This is where he used to do go into a state of Ihram. Yes? Okay. Yes, so today, that mosque is still existent. It's a huge mosque, right? And all the buses and taxi drivers, they usually stop at the mosque. Unless he tells you, I'm not stopping. I'm in a rush. And that's another issue, right? But usually they stop at the mosque. If you get to the mosque, it's a big mosque, and a lot of showers and changing rooms and for people to go into ihram, for people to freshen up and so forth, right? The next hadith, I might as well just put it up, mentions that the Prophet also went into ghusl, right? It was narrated that his, that the Prophet changed his clothes and did a ghusl at Dhul Hulayfa. Now, most people don't do this anymore. Why? It's an inconvenience to do it. That's why. Why? We have bags, you want to travel to Makkah now with all of our luggage. 
So what's the easiest thing to do? Take a ghusl in the hotel, freshen up, pack your bags away, put on your ihram, and jump in the bus and you're ready to get to Makkah. So this sunnah has been lost to many people, right? So if you have the option to do this, the reality is you're not by yourself. You're in a bus full of people, you're traveling as a group. If you have the option to do this and you think it's okay for you to do this, then you do it this way. If you feel it's going to be difficult, then avoid the ghusl and dhul hulayfa. Which you're going to take your towel with, you're going to take your, your everything else with, you know, your shampoo, your soap. Because we're going to speak about the ihram issue and the perfuming and all those things, right? We're going to get there. But all that things you want to take with you. So it can be a bit, unless you're traveling, you know, nicely with another small bag on the side. Fine. But the least that you should do is this. Let's say the bus driver tells you and the group tells you, you are not going to stop at Dhul Hulayfa. We're not going to get out the bus. We're just going to stop maybe. Then put on your ihram, but do not formulate your intention yet. So basically you're just wearing a towel. And you're just wearing a normal abaya for the woman. They don't have to wear anything specific. For the men, you're just wearing your towels. Right? When you get to Dhul Hulayfa, now you make your intention. Because now you are going into a state of ihram. Understand this difference. It's one thing to put on the towels there. It's another thing to go into the state of ihram. Understand? Imam Malik, rahimahullah, Imam of the Maliki Madhab, he was the Imam of Medina in his time. And one day he found a man putting on his ihram outside Masjid al-Nabawi. He said to the man, you know, Dhul Hulayfa is it's just down the road, a few kilometers. And the man said, no, I want to put it on here. He said to him, but the sunnah is to go there. He said, but this is Masjid al-Nabawi. It's better than Dhul Hulayfa. See the logical argument. And what did my Malik say to him? But the Prophet did it there. Can you do better than him? And this is proper logic. That's your logic, but this is logic of the sunnah. And you cannot beat this. He said to him, you cannot do better than this. Go and put it on there. But, as I said, it may not be possible. So you have to be prepared for these type of obstacles as well. You may want to do something a certain way, but the group's going to tell you, you can't do it that way. In that case, inshallah, you are excused. Your intention was there. You will get what you intended. Remember this, don't cause a fuss and a fight and an argument. Because that's also not what we want from Hajj. So think about what we are doing. If you know it's going to cause an issue, you know what your intention was. But because of the circumstances, it's not possible. And you fear fear Allah as much as you can. Right? But try and do this as much as we can. Types of Hajj. Right. There are three types of Hajj. Hajj is not like Umrah. You just make Umrah and that's it. Has everybody made Umrah here? Anybody not made Umrah? Okay. Khair. Umrah is very simple. How, what is Umrah? Put on your ihram. Get to Makkah. Make tawaf around the Kaaba seven times. Go to the Sa'i. Safa, Marwa, seven times. Cut your hair. Umrah is done. Very simple. Very, very simple. Okay? So all of those details I will get to. Tawaf, Sa'i. How do we do it? What must we recite? 
all of that we will get to ihram, rulings on ihram, what's allowed, what's not allowed, what's sunnah, all of that we're going to get to, right? So don't worry. When it comes to hajj, there are three types of hajj, three ways that we can do hajj, three different ways. Okay, and this is what I was alluding to when you asked that question over there. The first type of hajj is tamattu'. Tamattu'. The second type is ifrad. And the third is qiran. Okay? Tamattu' is the first type of hajj. Which means we enter into ihram for umrah only. During the months of hajj. And we have the intention to perform hajj afterwards. That's tamattu'. What does that mean? Let's give an example. Let's say, Dhul Qa'dah, the month before the month of Hajj, Dhul Hijjah, right? Let's say we arrive in Mecca on the 20th of Dhul Qa'dah. Hajj starts on the 8th of Dhul Hijjah, which means you've got 18 days before Hajj starts, right? You arrive in Mecca and you've, your intention is Tamattu, which means you will put on your ihram before you pass the miqat as normal. You enter into Mecca, you make umrah. You do your tawaf, you make your sa'i, safa, marwa, cut your hair, and you come out of ihram. Out, completely out. Normal clothing, normal rules apply. No rules of, of ihram applies anymore. You're like a normal person in Mecca. And you spend the next three weeks in Mecca until the days of Hajj comes around. When the days of Hajj comes around, you go back into Ihram. Fresh, new Ihram for Hajj. Now I'm putting my Ihram on for Hajj. The first time my Ihram was for Umrah. Second time out of Ihram now, I wait till, in Mecca until the days of Hajj comes. I put on my Ihram again, and I go into Mina. Hajj starts in Mina. Right? And we go to Mina on the 8th of Dhul Hijjah, which is known as the day of at tarwiyah It's known as the day of at tarwiyah You enter your ihram now for Hajj only. And he only does the actions of Hajj. Right? So Tamattu' involves a complete Umrah and a complete Hajj. And as far as I know, most of our Hujjaj perform Tamattu' Hajj. Because when we get to Mecca, there's still some time before Hajj starts. Understand? There's still some time before Hajj starts. Okay? Do we all understand this? Yes? So, when you're in Makkah and you're in a Makkah, then you also leave Makkah. See, if you're in Makkah, yeah. then you go to Tana'im, which is a, a mosque just, just a little bit away from the Haram. You take a taxi there or a bus there or something, and you go into a Haram from there. No, 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 no. Oh, okay, so let's say you entered Mecca, you made your Umrah, come out of your Ihram, right? Before you go to Mina on the 8th and you put on your Ihram, you put it on from wherever you are. Your hotel room, you go to. Most people again will not be in Mecca anymore. You will most likely be in a town called Aziziyah, which is just outside of Mecca. Or an area called Aziziyah. Right? So if this is Mecca, <coughs> right? Let's say Aziziyah is down the road, it's here. And then Mina is over here. So what people do is they stay here for a few days, 
by the Kaaba becomes extremely expensive. And then they move to Aziziyah. And they stay there for some time until the days of Hajj starts and then they go into Mina where the tents are. Understand? Wherever you are before Hajj, you put on your Ihra. If you stay in Mecca, you put it on there. If you stay in Aziziyah, you put it on there and then you go into Mina. Understand? So you don't have to go to another Miqat the second time when you are putting it on for Hajj only. Understand this? Wherever you are, you put on your Ihram and you go to, to Mina. Are you with me? Any questions? Is it clear? I answered what, what your concern was, right? So the initial thing is you have to put it on before you pass the Miqat, even if Hajj is in, in next month. Because you are going to perform Tamattu. Right? If you are going to perform Ifrad, on the other hand, Ifrad means, comes from the word Fard, with a Dal, not a Dad, Fard. Fard with a Dad is obligation, right? Fard with a Dad, with a Dal means something that is one. Ifrad means something singular, which means it's only Hajj, no Umrah involved. Ifrad means I'm going to Mecca to perform Hajj only, no Umrah, the opposite of Tamattu. So when you get to Mecca, you perform the Tawaf of arrival, which is called Tawaf al-Qudum. You make Sa'i for Hajj, not for Umrah. Make Sa'i for Hajj, not as a Umrah. And he does not shave or cut his hair, and he does not exit Ihram. You stay in Ihram until Hajj starts. Right? He remains in Ihram until he exits Ihram after stoning Jamaratul Aqaba on the day of Eid, which is the tenth. You will stay in Ihram. So let's say you came to Mecca on the first of Dhul Hijjah. Hajj starts on the eighth. If you are doing Ifrad Hajj, it means you stay in Ihram from the first till the tenth. And that's very difficult. That's very difficult, especially for the men. There's a spiritual aspect which is difficult. There are certain things that are not allowed. Then there's a physical part that's difficult, like having no underwear and it's hot and you only got towels on your body. Towel gets... You can shower. If you're going to speak about ihram, let's not go into ihram yet. Showering in ihram is no problem. You can shower in ihram. I'll show you hadith of the Prophet showered in ihram. You can't lose hey, We're going to get there. Let's not jump the gun. Next week we speak about the haram. Right? So if Rod is okay, if you come into Makkah on the 8th, or the 7th, or the 6th, but before that you don't want to be doing Ifrad, otherwise you're going to be in Ihram for a long time. I used to do a lot of Ifrad Hajj. Why? When I used to go from Medina to Makkah, I used to leave on the 7th. I get to Makkah the 7th at night. I make Tawaf al and Sa'i if I wanted to. Because Sa'i can also be delayed. Because it's, 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 you are performing Hajj. There's one Sa'i of Hajj. You can either do it in the beginning or the end. So I used to do Ifrad because I was in Mecca for a short period of time. I would make Hajj and go back to Medina. Understand? But that's for a student. It was easier. It was, it was, it was easy to do that. Okay? I think let's stop here. And next week I will recap Tamattu' Ifrad and the third one Qiran. Again, and then we'll move into the rulings on Ihram, insha'Allah. Are there any questions? So just to recap, when you do the Ihram, when you basically enter over um, the Mekah, 
But if you in, once you in, and you in the area, the, the mikvah doesn't come into play. Then you can put your karamat, you can throw whatever you want. But only when you enter on the first time when you're here. Correct. And your ikram must be made at a specific point. Correct. A specific location. Correct. At, at the miqat that you are within. So most of the time it's Medina. So before you pass at miqat, you have to put on the clothing of ihram, get yourself into a state of ihram. Like for example, you will say, La baik Allahumma hajj, or hajjan wa umrah, depending on what hajj you're going to make. Right? So La baik oh Allah, I'm here to perform hajj and umrah for tamattu. La baik oh Allah, I'm here to perform hajj only for ifrad. Understand? <coughs> That has to be done before the miqat. Once you pass the miqat, you're now already in the state of ihram. You perform your umrah finished, come out of ihram. After that, wherever you are, you put on your ihram and you go for hajj. There's no miqat after that, basically. Yes. What's the difference? Someone will answer you, yeah. Who was here earlier? Correct. Correct. So there's a specific reward for Hajj Mabrur. The hadith says Hajj Mabrur has no reward except Jannah. Right? But what's the difference between the two? Hajj Mabrur, as she says, means you fulfill the wajibat. You went to Arafah, Mina, Tat Jamarat, etc. But what you didn't do was stay free from sin, for example. So on your hajj, you were busy with ghibah in the tents, and you were smoking outside, and you were talking to strange women, and you were looking at other women, and all of these haram things that takes place on hajj. That can cause your hajj not to be mabrur any longer. So the wording that she used was, you strive for perfection in that hajj, stay away from sin, and so forth. So hajj mabrur, and then you get a hajj maqbul. Maqbul means you just you did it to an accepted standard. You fulfilled all of the wajibat, but it wasn't mabrur, which is what we want to strive to get to, inshallah. No other questions? Muhammad,